Welcome to It's Not That Deep with me, Lucy Woods, a mindfulness teacher, and me, Adrienne Kirk, a psychotherapist. Every episode, we discuss navigating the messiness of everyday life. We know it's a big subject, but we will do our best to discuss it lightly and make some sense of it all. In this episode, we're discussing why is it hard to let go of things that don't serve us? And it's one of those ones where we've discussed a few times about how there's sort of more comfort in the familiar, Mm. even if the familiar isn't helpful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This one really rings true for me around around my catastrophizing, right? So there's a there's a something that doesn't serve me and yet it's a it's a go-to in moments of of uncertainty or high anxiety, you know, that to to imagine the worst whatever whatever my brain thinks the worst is at any given moment. Do you think that's a kind of if I prepare for it or something? We've talked about that yeah. in the episode about catastrophizing. Yeah, it absolutely. Sort of makes us feel like our brain is preparing us for it, but of course it doesn't really, does it? No, no. If that worst thing was to happen, it would still be catastrophic, right? Yeah. Even though I've made myself massively anxious and full of adrenaline and cortisol by imagining it. And it's highly unlikely that it's true. Yeah. So therefore we've just caused however long that catastrophic episode goes on for caused ourselves to feel utterly terrible in the process and then it was all fine yeah (laughs) absolutely yeah Yeah. so it happened to me earlier on this week my my husband came home said he'd be home early and came home really much later than he'd than he'd said so he was meant to be home around four-ish didn't get home till sort of 7 30 and he doesn't carry a phone Uh so his phone was on the kitchen table so you know I have no way of checking out where he is or what's happening so I had gone oh to, yeah to, to some very dark places um yes exactly and of course the thing with that is that is that when he comes in the relief very quickly becomes why didn't you tell me cross exactly yeah. exactly we can I carry your phone why why don't you just the, yeah. you know he said oh and I didn't I couldn't let you know I didn't have my phone right and no one else had the phone and you couldn't remember the home phone number <laughs> I hear myself saying in an irritable tone, yeah. right? Rather than, oh, lovely, you're home. Shall we have dinner? <laughs> yes. Oh, because all that adrenaline and cortisol yeah. is built up into this sort of yeah. explosion. It's got to go somewhere, right? And yeah. I'm, you know, the fight or flight. So the, the fight is a, is a verbal one. Yeah. And it's interesting because mine is very much related to anxiety, but in a sort of different way. When I first started to practice mindfulness, there was a fear about not feeling anxious all the time because it was that that remembered all the things that checked and double checked all the things you know and all my life I've been the person that kind of would I don't know call the taxis and arrange the things and remember the coats and you know and if I stop being that person then what things might go wrong yeah you know there's an element of of unsafeness around letting go of that thing that I've convinced myself keeps me safe. And of course that's what it's there for. Your catastrophizing is there for, for keeping you safe, isn't it? And, yes. and the same with anxiety. Of course. And the same with a lot of these things that we hold on to, these kind of, maybe they're beliefs or patterns. I think very often they're patterns, right? And there's something that was certainly my catastrophizing comes from childhood okay um so where uh where there wasn't anything i could do 
to save situations except try and preempt them try and kind of head them off at the pass you spot a mood or a change in atmosphere or a something and do something to try and make that okay so it makes us hyper vigilant yeah. the thing is it doesn't serve us as an adult because we know a lot more stuff and we can imagine a whole lot more you know awful things and and so now that hypervigilance is about things that might happen rather than things that are happening in front of me. Yeah, and we have such a brilliant creative brain, yeah. but it, it isn't helpful to use our creativity to imagine worst case scenarios, is it? No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And so you're right, it becomes a pattern. And, and, and when we are in that state, flooded with adrenaline and cortisol, right, we get, you know, it's hard to think of something else. We're going to fall into that pattern um, because it's well practiced Mm -hmm. so we don't have the capacity in that situation to think more creatively which is why the work that you and I do with with clients is around helping them catch that earlier and earlier so that they can do something different yeah and I think that's really important there's another phrase we use what we practice grows stronger now that's brilliant if you're learning to play the piano or a new language or something but we also have to recognise that we've practised behaviours that really aren't very helpful. Yes. And even when I say behaviours, it might be ruminating or, you know, just patterns of, of how we function, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And in therapy, we talk about neurons that fire together, wire together, right? right? So that's exactly the same thing. And it becomes this sort of super highway of neural pathway. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like it's like being on a motorway, right? So the brain quickly instantly goes down that and as you say that's great if that's playing the piano yeah. or playing chess or cleaning our teeth or any of those things that we do automatically yeah. but it also goes for all of those other automatic behaviors yeah. and then forming the new neural pathways like being on a b road you know that we don't know oh, it's like uh, digging the road ourselves <laughs> yes, actually absolutely you know, it's not easy work is it no. it takes a whole kind of rewiring of yeah. yourself yeah you know, i would beg to say that we're actually you're right you're right we are carving (laughs) that road out and it takes a lot then to to you know with our shovel to make that a motorway and so therefore it's no wonder that people are much more drawn to staying in the familiar because it's it's hard to break through it's hard to dig out those new roads um and most often we're on the motorway before we've even you know before we've noticed yeah, and that's why awareness becomes this quality that we bang on about in every single episode, I'm pretty sure. Because unless we know what's happening, but sometimes we know what's happening and we still feel like we're making those choices anyway. But those choices are almost beyond conscious, aren't they? They're, they've they've been so well practiced yes. that they're happening at a very subconscious level um, mm-hmm. so that we, that we they're barely perceptible. We're just not noticing that there is some kind of decision-making going on at a much lower level. Um, And there is that fear of what we might become without it. I'm I'm drawn to thinking about the number of discussions I've had with people that um, have perfectionism as a kind of tendency, because that's very much tied up in sort of how other people view you. It's, It's often a story you're telling yourself, you know, it's not necessarily real, but that sort of inner need for everything to be perfect it's kind of control things isn't it and, yes and a sort of being good enough yeah more than good enough. more than good enough so being perfect otherwise you won't be 
you won't be good enough for you know to be part of the group or for someone to be friends with you or all of those things I think you know that if I don't have that it's a bit like you and the you know if I'm not the person who is booking the taxis and taking care of everyone and making sure everyone's all right what am I in that group what's my what's my role mm. if, I, if I'm not doing if I'm not doing that yeah. what am I for yeah I mean I have to say when I met my other half um he was quite good at all those things and i found mindfulness just a few years before that and i was quite happy to relinquish yeah. it all <laughs> so i have been able to let go of doing all the things now yeah. my anxiety just presents in other ways but absolutely but i think lots of people can relate to that sense of if i'm not that what am i yeah, right so definitely. that thing we talk about that that our thoughts aren't us that that, that they're that their suggestions their offerings of ways of being yeah by this machine that's not very good at making sense of the world no because it you know it evolved to live in a world eighty thousand plus years ago it's it's no wonder that the mind doesn't always seem like it's our friend when it's offering us these stories or thoughts that tell us about ourselves or whatever what we should be doing or thinking of you're yeah. not good enough yeah yeah absolutely Yes, it's, it's, you know, it's chucking out all this kind of blue sky, you know, well, probably just ram the car in front that, you know, that, that cut you up. Yeah. You know? well, clearly, we're not going to do that. But, you know, but then we start to, we can then start to think, I'm an awful person. I have all these horrible, dark thoughts that I need to keep quiet. I'm ashamed of what they might say about me. And then that feeds into how we feel about ourselves, right? And, and, and then we need to strive to be ever more perfect, to override this, you know, this sense of underneath, I'm not nice, I'm not a good person. And I think you've touched on something really important, and I don't know what the kind of, uh, you know, scientific backing is, but from my understanding, there's this thought machine churning out, but what we as humans have developed with this kind of prefrontal cortex, human brain development, and as that's evolving, is the awareness of what that machine is churning out and yeah. because some of it is dark and shameful and twaddle there's this bit of us that's able to observe that that meta awareness i was going to say meta right? awareness yeah, yeah. yeah. then judges yes. what's coming out of the brain and then if we associate what's coming out of the brain as being us then no wonder we kind of pour hatred upon ourselves you know and think that we're terrible people because our brains are churning out this stuff. So it feels really, really important to separate what's coming out of the brain to the essence of, of us as a human being. Yes. And to recognise that thoughts are just another aspect of experience that can be observed from a kind of neutral observer viewpoint. Absolutely. It's not the thoughts that are important. It's what we act on. You know, so our our ability to go oh that was a dark one heavens let's just let that go you know exactly. I'm, I'm clear i'm not going to do that i'm going to say yes by all means pull in front of me your need is clearly greater yeah. you know and we have to recognize especially in something like that that there has been imminent danger when yes. someone has cut us up so it's firing up the old very quick brain compared to the new logical rational brain and all that uh, that uh, chemical rush of adrenaline and cortisol you know it's all a big mish of stuff 
Mish, mish of stuff. Whoosh, I like that. Mush, I don't know. Just a whole whoosh. All of them, all together. We're flooded. Yes. And that does things to our brains and our bodies and our present moment experience. And this is why the practice of awareness to be able to get that bit of distance yeah. between stimulus and response, as Viktor Frankl would say, is where the whole kind of, let's call it control, I hate that word, but choice around what to do next. Yeah. You know, we have some agency back if we can catch it and choose what to kind of go with, what's helpful, yeah. what's not. Yeah, I think it's so important, isn't it? And Because we know that when we're in that state, that adrenaline and cortisol, what we're doing is is is, is that... Um, how would you describe that? A left brain, a left hemisphere takeover, right? So, and I don't know if I've said this before, but but in hospital situations, if there's a crash call, and everybody rushes, everybody on call rushes to to assist the person, um, everybody has a particular job to do. Yeah, you got anaesthetist. I can't say it. Anaesthetist. Yeah. Or whatever. You know, yeah. Surgeon or something. Exactly. So some somebody's looking after the airway. Somebody's looking after uh, circulation. Somebody's looking after you know all sorts of things. And there's also somebody whose only job is to look at the big perspective because that adrenaline and cortisol gives us tunnel vision, right? So if you're focusing simply on the airway, is are they breathing, right? They might be bleeding out somewhere and you don't notice that because you're focused exactly on that. Right. And so that's what's happening to us all the time. And it's useful in situations. Right. We've all had that experience of, I don't know, revising for an exam or something where we get that we get that hyper focus on that page, you know, writing a presentation that needs to be delivered tomorrow or something like that right so we get we get really hyper focused on that and we forget to eat and we forget to go to the loo and we forget to have a drink and all of those things because we're focused so there is like all of these things there's not it's not that it's good or bad it's that it it serves us sometimes sometimes and being able to be aware of when it's not serving us is the is the trick i guess and it's really hard and i think we've got so many phrases things like can't see the wood for the trees yes when we're flooded you know is because of that isn't it you just can't get the perspective if you're so kind of caught up in the emotion you know, the catastrophizing, for example, yeah. is a good one. It just you can't sort of think about anything else. This narrow focus, and we all hear people and ourselves say the only thing to be done, the only, the only, the only possible explanation for this is, you know, yeah. and of course it's not true. It feels like it in that moment, and like you say, getting that perspective is about bringing both hemispheres into play in the brain, and that's about trying to lower the adrenaline and cortisol so that we can think straight yeah and i got asked a question about how we know kind of which ones are helpful which aren't because when they're very much ingrained and they're part of us and we've practiced them for such a long time yeah it might be quite difficult to differentiate the ones that are you know serving us and, and not there might be a blurring of that sometimes it's such like a great anxiety, such right? a great question isn't it yeah because and also because brains don't like uncertainty so that idea that sometimes it's helpful and sometimes it's not is is not we want an algorithm for yes. that right yes. just tell me <laughs> yes <laughs> so what was your answer well i was saying about really we have to get that bit of perspective and mm. to recognize that sense of 
is it helpful you know is this helpful and how we recognize that is how is it making us feel let's say it's a thought like yeah. catastrophizing you know if we can get some perspective then we can obviously see that this thought that i'm having that's made my heart pound out of my chest or my stomach feels sick to its pit you know it is in this moment it's not even true it's 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 an imagining yet i am suffering as a result yes but it's only that meta awareness of what how we're behaving what that's doing to us that allows us to ask that, that question. Us to ask the question. Is, it, is this true? Is what, it helpful? Exactly. Is it true? Yeah. What are the facts here? Can I come back to the facts and stay in the moment? Yeah. yeah. So my so my my kind of subsequent work with this um, question will be around see what's happening in the body first, yeah. because if we're trying to reason with ourselves and we get very stuck in our heads, that's yeah. why we end up in loops of rumination, isn't it? So that kind of, if I can bring my attention to the speedy heart or the churny stomach, that's going to be much more likely an indicator to say, not good, unpleasantness, you know, unpleasantness is here, what might be helpful, you know, yeah. and maybe just breathing. And, and I always say, let's go bottom up by soothing the physiology first, because at the moment of flooding, mm. we can't really do anything no. until that's passed, can we? Absolutely. Once our, once our left hemisphere is in charge and is doing its thing, then no, there's nothing to be done with the thoughts because we're on that motorway. So you're absolutely right. The coming into the body and breathing and noticing and lowering, you know, bringing our um, parasympathetic yeah. nervous system on, on board to, to lower all of that and turn off the adrenaline and cortisol. And once we've soothed the old brain, yeah. the fight, flight, freeze, you know, anxious, whatever, then our, after flipping our lid, which we've talked about many times before, then the new brain has a possibility of coming back online again doesn't it absolutely yes yes so and rational logic perspective reason yeah more available absolutely so we what we're wanting is to bring that prefrontal cortex back online so that we can evaluate and you're right we can't do that whilst our body is affected by all of those by by all of that distress yeah, yeah. and we have to start small mm, mm-hmm but we can't expect awareness to be available to us if we don't really practice yeah. cultivating awareness at the big points. It has to be the niggly little ones. Yeah. yeah I, I was talking about how at the moment where, I don't know, the sun was out and we were warm and then the sun goes in and we suddenly feel a bit chilly, there's a noticing of a movement from pleasant via neutral maybe at the point we were all right and then into cold might bring a distinct unpleasantness to it because and and it will register somewhere right now we might just instinctively go and get a jumper or a coat without thinking about it but if we can catch those sorts of moments regularly yes that can be so helpful in weaving our parachute for the times when the big stuff happens and we're really falling out of the plane yeah oh i love that analogy yeah yeah john cabot's in i stole it and and quite right um yeah I, i i i say something similar to clients where we talk about you know let's tackle the low-hanging fruit first so not the stuff that sends us into complete out of control distress with the thoughts but the things where 
they're smaller ones, mm. right? And, and, and get a handle on how that feels and, and being able to manage that. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's what will help us, right? Yeah. So all the stuff we talk about, about noticing, um, awareness, it's all very helpful. Soothing the body next and then bringing that new brain back online to say, is it helpful? Yeah. Is it true? Yeah, and non-judgment, because oh, otherwise, yeah. you know, if we start judging ourselves for that, you know, we just send ourselves back around that loop again, don't we? So so being non-judgmental, being kind to ourselves, something that we're not mm-hmm. we're not great at. And, you know, that thing you always say, of, if my friend was in this state, well, what would I be saying to them? We'd you probably know? be doing a kind yeah. of soothing there, there yeah. type thing, wouldn't we? Yeah, absolutely. Not going, oh, for goodness sake, how could you possibly think that? And then, you know, sending yeah. them back into it. Exactly. Yeah, and... And also, I think, kind of tackling that that imbalance we have between kind of perfectionism and good enough. You know, in situations, what's good enough here? What 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 would be okay? We need perspective for that. Absolutely, don't we? yeah. The story we tell ourselves might never say it's good enough. But no. if we can really look, if it was someone else looking at our work or how our living room looked or how I appear today. Would they be sitting there going, for you know, judgment, or is that coming from our internal voice? Yeah, you know, and I think that, but the perspective again is is needed on on being able to make that call. I agree absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And going back to the non-judgment, yeah, it is a judge. It feels like a judgment. That is it good enough or you know perfect? Rebecca Crane uses the the words and some guidance. Um, being the impartial witness to our experience, right? So that you're looking at it mm. rather than from that place we're often so caught up inside. Yes, yeah, from a place of curiosity rather than judgment. Yeah, yeah. friendly interest, yeah. And curiosity. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah, good stuff. Thank you, Adrienne. Thank you. You've been listening to It's Not That Deep with Lucy Woods and Adrienne Kirk. If you've enjoyed listening, why not subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode?